Greetings, everybody. Welcome to this daily podcast, The One-Year Bible Tour, where we read through the Bible in a year, following the readings of the One-Year Bible that includes a portion from the Old and New Testaments, with a daily dip into the Book of Psalms and also the Book of Proverbs. This is March 9th. My name is David McAdam, pastor of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I am happy to serve as your tour guide, yet I know that this is the Holy Spirit's book, and he is not only behind the authorship, but he is the true teacher, and I pray that he will use today's text to speak to us. We are in the book of Numbers, and in chapter 11, the book of Numbers becomes the book of murmuring and wandering due to the unbelief that infects the multitude. There are a number of references in the New Testament to the incidents that take place in these remaining chapters in the book of Numbers. For example, we read in the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, in verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So we might ask, How did the people of Israel, the covenant people of God, become an example of the state of hardened, unbelieving hearts so quickly? after being examples of believing hearts. Their example, written in the book of Numbers, serves a warning to us. And let's pray before we begin our reading. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of your word, making yourself known to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's authorship and that we have the affirmation that he is the one who was speaking to the children of Israel and he is the one who can speak to us today. So we ask, Lord, that we would have ears to hear even as we read. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 11, beginning with verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, They prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. 
while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of that place was called Kirbroth Hataava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kirbroth Hataava the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Chapter 12 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, Behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. For the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Chapter 13 The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shamoah the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadael, the son of Saadi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. 
from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of Vophzai, from the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Machai. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hashea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb, and go up into the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. They went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This concludes the reading from the Old Testament. So how did it happen that the hearts of those who had seen miracles at the hand of God get so quickly deceived into a state of unbelief? First, there were those in the camp who complained of adversity. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, they were known to be complainers. They complained when conditions were difficult. They complained when their patience was being tried. Their patterns of thought and speech, their character and overall demeanor had become known during the first year of the journey. Three days after the Red Sea parted and they crossed over on dry ground, a clear manifestation that God was their deliverer, they complained about the lack of water on the other side. And now, three days after setting out from Sinai, they are complaining again. While Moses took his complaints about the people to the Lord, 
these discontents complained about the Lord to the people. Secondly, many people were becoming like them. Negativity is contagious. Those who grumble will tumble, and their dread will spread. This is clarified in the New American Standard Bible translation. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. Thirdly, there was the rabble among them who had greedy desires. The Hebrew word asapsup, translated rabble, is only found in this instance in the Old Testament. Earlier translations of this word are a mixed multitude. Other versions translate it as foreign rabble because it specifically refers to those Egyptians who joined the Israelites in their exodus after the last plague. In the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, we learned of these people. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. Perhaps they were welcomed into the congregation because of their wealth. They had a very large number of livestock. They received the good news of the promised land with joy and were delighted to pass through the Red Sea and witness the mighty hand of God, yet there was no foundational recognition of their need for the Passover lamb. The mixed multitude was of mixed faith. It is most likely that they did not personally apply faith in God's word about the necessary application of the blood of the spotless lamb to the doorposts of their home on the evening of the Passover. Perhaps they had no firstborn sons to lose, or maybe they joined themselves to the Israelites as a means of protection against future disaster. Perhaps they joined the Exodus because they saw it as a quick fix for their problems. These were Egyptian residents who saw the Israelites being blessed in the land of Goshen and understood that they were now on their way to a land of abundant opportunity, a land their God promised to be flowing with milk and honey. But in the barren wilderness of Sinai, the promise of fertile fields and abundant crops were soon discounted as unreal. Their greedy desires were not being fulfilled. Instead of talking about Canaan, they would talk about home. It was in Egypt, not in Canaan, that their desires would be satisfied. The mixed multitude doubted God's ability to bring them into the land. They saw no redemptive purpose in the trials, hardship, discipline, or delays in the desert. How could these be from God, they thought? Or if they were from God, he is being too hard on them. When God sent fire to the outskirts of the camp, instead of crying out to God in repentance, they cry out to Moses. Fourthly, there were those who were ungrateful for the manna. They were weepers. They wept at the doors of their tents. They cried out, Who will give us meat to eat? They were discontent. Their appetite was for something other than what God had on the menu. They lost their taste for manna, although it was freshly, faithfully, and miraculously provided by God to sustain them on their journey. They were weary of the bread from heaven. So God gives instructions to Moses. Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? In Numbers 11, verses 18 to 20. When the people have their fill of their greedy desires, they discover it is not what they truly needed or wanted. Moses is already tired and weary, 
He is not weary of the manna. He is weary of the attitudes of the people. We are vulnerable when we are discouraged and exhausted. Moses misinterprets God's promise to give the multitudes meat as meaning added work for him. In Numbers 11, verses 21 to 22, how can he prepare meat for all these people? His heart is growing cynical, doubting that God's people would ever be satisfied no matter what they were given. The Lord responds to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. In verse 23, The Lord keeps his word, and a wind brings in quail from the sea, and it falls to the ground until some are waist-deep in fresh meat. The people gathered it and cooked it, but those who ate it were sickened by it. In verse 33, The place was called Kibroth Hataava, the graves of lust, because there they buried the people who were greedy. We see that God's most severe judgments are often those in which the Lord leaves people to their own desires. We call it the judgment of abandonment. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. In Psalm 106, verse 15, Therefore the Lord gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, in Romans 1, 28. And so the Lord gave the children of Israel over to their lust for quail. The Lord makes it clear that in rejecting the manna, his people were rejecting him in Numbers chapter 11, verse 20. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he had warned them that the manna would be a test as to whether their hearts would be filled with faith or unbelief. In Exodus 16, 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, He humbled you, and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. In Numbers chapter 12, the children of Israel discover what we often discover in our wilderness journeys, that our hearts are tested in relationship to the Word of God and those who speak it. And this certainly does happen in the book of Numbers. Moses speaks the word of God. People at first are happy to do what the Lord commands through the words he has given Moses. As a result, people are made ready to journey and set out for the promised land. The pressure of clarifying and communicating the word of the Lord becomes more than Moses feels that he can personally bear. Therefore, the sovereign Lord offers to spread that spiritual endowment for prophecy to 70 others, Notice that the Bible does not indicate that the spiritual gifts are transferred by laying on of hands. The Sovereign Spirit rests upon them. The Holy Spirit rests on sixty-eight of them who are gathered with Moses around the tent. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not do it again. Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit, but it also requires human cooperation. There are times that God can put His words in the mouth of a donkey, but his intention is to speak to man through man. He gives messengers for his message. 
but the messengers need to have hearts that are submitted to the Lord. The hearts are again tested in regard to people prophesying in Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 to 29. Two of the seventy, Eldad and Medad, for some unknown reason, are not together with Moses by the tabernacle when the group start to prophesy, speaking forth the word of God. Yet the Spirit rests upon Eldad and Medad, and they too are given the gift of being able to prophesy. First a young man protests, and then Joshua tells Moses to restrain them. Moses rebukes Joshua, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord will put his Spirit upon them. Moses had a vision of the sovereign grace of the Lord and the privilege of being his spokesperson. The people needed to be encouraged with the word of the Lord. Would that they were all able to encourage themselves and each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul states a similar sentiment. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That's for building up, stirring up, and cheering up. The situation reminds us of the disciples complaining to Jesus about another upon whom the Spirit was resting. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. In Luke 9, verse 49 to 50. The tests in regard to prophesying continue. Moses' sister Miriam and his brother Aaron spoke out against Moses. First they were upset with his marriage to the Cushite woman. Then they expressed resentment towards Moses being God's designated spokesperson, and they questioned his authority. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Let us be careful not to make too much of our own particular gifts and experiences. Instead, let us recognize God's authority as expressed through His Word. The Lord said that Moses is more than a mouthpiece. He is a faithful servant. He knows me. He reverences my Word and beholds the form of the Lord in the Word. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. That commendation reappears in the book of Hebrews. Miriam is chastised with leprosy and Moses intercedes for his beloved sister. The Lord took Miriam's attack on Moses personally because ultimately that is what it was. As a result, Miriam was set aside as leprous for seven days and the entire camp of Israel had to wait until she was purified before they could resume their journey. In Numbers chapter 13, hearts are tested in relationship to the promises. Today's Old Testament reading concludes with the sending out of the twelve spies into the land of Canaan. Representatives from each tribe are chosen. Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim and Caleb of Judah are among them. They are given a list of conditions to investigate and told to report back to the people. The twelve are gone for forty days and then return, with ten of them giving an evil report. The ten spies concurred that, yes, the land was as God said it would be. The land does flow with provisions for livestock and fruitfulness. They brought back astounding samples of fruit to prove this. Nevertheless, they said in a panic, the descendants of Anak and Nephilim are there. The name Anak means long-necked. The Anakim were big people who stood tall in the eyes of others. 
While the ten saw these long-necked sons of Anak as a problem looming large, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, saw them as giant opportunities in work clothes. Long necks mean greater distance between the shoulders and heads. A greater distance makes for a greater opportunity to separate the two. Nephilim refer to giants, but the root word nafal means to fall down or be cast down, whereas the ten spies saw the Nephilim as a giant obstacle, Joshua and Caleb went for the root interpretation. If God had called them to possess the land, indeed the Nephilim would fall down or be cast down before them. The people favored the majority report that the obstacles in the promised land were insurmountable. They believed a lie that Canaan is a land that devours its inhabitants. The ten spies confessed that the inhabitants of the land were too strong for them. Joshua and Caleb knew that although they might be too strong for them, they were not too strong for God. How often we adopt the viewpoint that magnifies the enemy and minimizes the promises and power of God. Notice how the negative report affected not only how the people saw the enemy, but also how they saw themselves. In verse 33, There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Do we see ourselves as the enemy sees us, or do we see ourselves as the Word of God sees us? Now let's go to our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, But if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could not you watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when they came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. That's the end of the New Testament reading from the Gospel of Mark. After sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus proceeds from the upper room and outside the city walls to cross the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is at its base. The disciples had remembered the first exodus in the celebration of the Passover meal and were about to experience the second and greater exodus, a deliverance from their bondage to sin and death. The time had come for the Lamb to be taken away and slain. Jesus prophesies and interprets a prophecy that was written hundreds of years earlier by Zechariah. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Mark 14.27, referring to Zechariah 13.7. In addition to prophesying that the disciples would scatter in fear, Jesus again prophesies his resurrection and what would happen after the resurrection. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. In Mark 14.28. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is one in which he wrestles through all his human feelings that would resist his obedience. It was time for him to be sacrificed for us as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5-7. He knew this. It was the hour for which he had come. Mark summarizes, And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Jesus relentlessly surrenders his will to that of the Father, knowing it meant death by crucifixion. Jesus' intercession ends with a resolve. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. In verse 36, it seems likely that Mark is drawing from Peter as a source eyewitness in this gospel. Peter is in almost every scene. Mark kindly does not mention that it was Peter who cut off Malchus's ear with a sword when the entourage of the priests came with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus. Further details are furnished in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 10. But then Mark adds a detail overlooked by the other Gospel writers, and the one that would likely have escaped Peter's attention, that of a young boy wearing nothing but a nightshirt over his naked body. By this time, 
Peter and all the others had fled, but the boy followed Jesus. The report continues that he was seized by the authorities. The boy managed to escape by breaking free from his nightshirt and running away naked. This information must have come from another source other than Peter. Perhaps the boy was Mark himself. Many believe that the Last Supper was held in Mark's mother's home and that Mark, unwilling to sleep when Jesus left for the outdoors, followed him to Gethsemane. And now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 52, verses 1 through 9. The steadfast love of God endures to the choir master, a maskil of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction? But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever, because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. This is the end of our reading from Psalms. This psalm, we are told, is about the incidents described in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, when Doeg the Edomite, King Saul's chief herdsman, demonstrated his true wickedness by betraying David to King Saul, reporting to Saul that Ahimelech had served food to David and given David Goliath's sword. Verses 1-4 through four describe Doeg's true character. Verses 5-7 to seven describe his doom. And verses 8 and 9 contrast the nature of Doeg with that of a worshiper who has been made right with God through faith in the gospel promise. There is great application to our own lives. We have inherited the Doeg nature of sin. And verses 1-4 through four could well describe the characteristics of the sin nature within us. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. In verses 5-7, to seven, we see that sin nature deserves a punishment. The sin nature uproots us from the land of the living. In contrast to this, we see the blessed impact of being justified by faith in Christ. As for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord, having put my trust in the loving kindness of God in the gospel. In verse 8, in describing his heart of gratitude, David gives us words that describe the attitude of one who has been made right with God through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. In verse 9, let us exalt his name together. And for today's reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 11, verses 1 to 3. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. We must love justice and fairness if we are to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord. Practice doing what you say you will do. That's integrity. Do the right thing. It is wise to be humble. 
Remember all that you are without Christ, and you have a lot to be humble about. Without Him, you are nothing, and have nothing about which to boast. In Him, you have God's perfect provision. With the humble who put their trust in Christ is God's perfect provision of wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded of your devotion to the Father and your sacrificial love for us. We thank you for the cross upon which you died and paid our ransom. We have been set free and are so grateful. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and his enabling power to deny ungodliness and love righteousness. Help us to walk with you and live a life of integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us on our daily Bible reading. and We trust it's been a blessing to you, and we look forward to continuing tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to write us at podcast at newlife.org. Or if you'd like a written copy of today's commentary, you can subscribe to our free daily email at our website, newlife.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Walk in the abundance of God's grace today.